0: Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does. AM
1: 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your
0: hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa.
1: Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Happy 4th of July weekend to you. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz, who just used his noisy cricket on us, and now we have no idea what we're going to be talking about tonight. Oh wait, I remember now, the paranormal, as we do each and every Saturday night. And uh, we have a great guest joining us tonight, Mike Hollowell will be joining us from the UK, which is perfect because it is our Independence Day and we can rub it in. Uh, we need the uh, clip right now from uh, President Bill Bill uh, Paxton, Bill Pullman, Pullman, Paxton. <laughs> we need uh, the clip of the President telling us that today is the day we celebrate our Independence Day. Okay. All right, well, welcome to the show. Hopefully uh, you're done watching the fireworks and you're ready for some paranormal fireworks on our end. Uh, like I said, we have Mike Halliwell joining us. We're very excited to speak with him. He has an article up on the front of spooky south com, so if you go there you can check out that article you can also watch us on spooky tv and join in the fun in the chat room as well because we have cameras all throughout the studio now uh we are getting more and more professional as we go along well i don't know if say that. <laughs> <laughs> i hope <so. laughs> we're getting more and more professional equipment as we go along so uh, we will be happy to uh, talk with you during the course of the program usually when we connect with a guest during skype we have some issues last time it seemed to work out all right so we're hoping that it will do the same again this time so i'll throw out the numbers to start the show 508-996-0500 1-877-996-1420 those are the numbers if you want to call in at any point during the program and talk with us and talk with our guest mike hollowell and you can also email us spooky crew at spookysouthcoast.com or you can post your questions in the chat room on spooky tv as well All right, well, drawing on over four decades of research, Mike Hollowell specializes in writing about the supernatural and paranormal phenomena after spending many years in the police service. Mike has written over 20 columns during his career, including Wraithscape, which is the longest-running paranormal newspaper column in the U.K., and From Across the Pond, a UFO-centered blog for the IRAAP website, which has been running since 1998. Mike currently pens Mike Hallowell's Spotlight for UFO Matrix Magazine and the Geordie Monsters blog for the website of the Center for Fortean Zoology. His books include South Shield's Poltergeist, Invisikids, The House that Jack Built, Ghost Taverns, Paranormal South Tyneside, and Christmas Ghost Stories, and he joins us now uh, on Spooky South Coast. Good evening, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Good evening. Hey, you sound great. It must be, uh, must be pretty late or early where you are.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's currently 3.45 in the morning.
1: Are you usually up at this time or is this uh, special just for us?
0: Well, uh, I'm normally up at this time in the morning for this reason that um, I suffer from a condition called narcolepsy, which uh, is a sleep disorder, and so it's not unusual for me to be up in the middle of the night, so it's no big problem really.
1: You know, and I was reading that in your on your bio on MikeHollowell.com, and uh, I mentioned it here on the show in the past. I, I too, am uh, a narcolepsy sufferer. Uh, I got the double whammy. I got that and sleep apnea. So I can't stay asleep and I can't stay awake. <laughs> but uh, it's really interesting that, uh, you know, to, to speak with somebody else that has that affliction, especially because a lot of neurologists that you will talk to will tell you that it may have issues with your perception that you may, you know, be prone to uh, the occasional hallucination and that you may not be fully awake at times and you might slip into that dream state. Uh, Because I don't know about you, but I I go right into round four as soon as I close my eyes. So does that ever, you know, uh, pose any kind of problems for you while you're working in the paranormal field?
0: Yeah, I I had a a really scary hallucination actually yesterday. I met a skeptic and this this guy was actually intelligent so so i knew i was hallucinating it's a hoax
1: it, yeah it's true it's, it's it's probably just a hoax
0: yeah <laughs>
1: but how do you end up someone who uh you know starts off with uh, from reading your your extended biography you first started with an apprenticeship in dental technology just the transition from that to police service seems like a pretty interesting story
0: yeah, well, I, I started my time as a dental technician, and the work was great, but the money was very poor. Um, then I uh, sort of moved from there to retail sales, where the the money was good, but the work was incredibly boring. And I, I just eventually settled in the police service where I worked in a crime prevention department um, in South Tainside, and I really enjoyed that work. But eventually the the writing book just got a hold of me too much and uh, something had to go, you know, when you've been wandering around in a, uh, a police car at 2 o'clock in the morning your your skills are not at the sharpest the following day. And I found that it was affecting my ability to write, so something had to go. And uh, writing went out because it's always been my first love.
1: And w- while you were doing uh, these other careers, and especially in the police work, was the paranormal already something that you were into researching? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I I first began researching the paranormal when I was 11 years old. Um, I had a project to do for school on astronomy, and uh, I spent about sort of five and a half weeks of the six-week summer break uh, just lazing around and doing absolutely nothing, and then I realised I had this project to do. and My family and I were on holiday uh, down south, and... um, I stumbled across a book called Flying Saucers Are Real by uh, Major Donald E. Kehoe. Uh, I was already 11 years old and I bought this book. And I, I unashamedly just cut and pasted pages from this book into my project. And uh, I got quite a good mark, actually. But when I read the book, I was hooked. Um, and I realised there was something in the UFO phenomenon. And that was when I was 11 years old. And I've never really lost an interest in paranormal research since.
1: Well... When you first read that book, I mean, that's a book that you know gets a lot of people into it. Uh, being 11 years old, and as we all are at that age, we want to believe that this stuff exists. Uh, did you have any kind of personal experiences either before or early on that that made you become more drawn into that, or was it just uh, one not, of
0: those? Not at that age, not, not when I was 11, but when I was about uh, 16 years old, I did have an experience. Um, I was standing with two colleagues near uh, my home. Uh, which is near the River Tyneside in South Tyneside. Uh, we were It was on Independence Day, funny enough, and uh, we were waiting for the Americans to invade. Uh, they never did. <laughs> but uh, seriously, uh, what happened was we, I, I looked up in the sky, I just happened to glance up in the sky, and uh, I noticed that some of the stars, it, w- it was a clear night, some of the stars actually seemed to be disappearing. And I thought this was quite strange, and I, I pointed this out to my two friends, and I said, look, those stars are going out. And we, and we sort of laughed about this. And then, as our eyes adjusted to the, the night sky, uh, I realised that, it, obviously, the stars weren't disappearing or going out. Um, there was something underneath them that was was uh, obliterating, and we couldn't see them. And we noticed that there was something very large it was actually floating underneath the stars and uh, so we couldn't see them and it, it was heading sort of uh, in a, a, a north easterly direction and it was very big and we sort of got unnerved at this and uh, we ran back to my house and uh, I can't remember who it was, somebody phoned the police and the next thing I knew I got a phone call from RAF Bulma which was in our nearest air base, uh, there was some guy from the RAF was asking me all sorts of questions and course, back in those days, things like, um, you know, privacy of information uh, didn't really count for much. And the next thing I knew, it was all over the press that, uh, you know, these three kids in uh, Jarrow and South Tyneside had seen a UFO. Um, So that was my first sort of uh, touch of celebrity status. And I was about 16 years old then. I was going to say, your
1: UFO career and your media career (laughs) go hand in Mm. hand then. Well, when you when you uh, were involved with the police work, did you mention to any of your colleagues your interest in the paranormal, or did, did they mention it to you?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, by sort of definition, police officers tend to be quite skeptical, and I think that's what makes them good witnesses. Um, I mean, the police station that I actually worked in was haunted, um, and I know a number of officers had uh, quite strange experiences. And I, I had one, uh, a colleague and I, Every evening we used to have to record a a bulletin um, on local crime issues, crimes that had occurred in the area in the the previous 24 hours. And this bulletin would then be available to anyone who rang a particular telephone number. And we used to record this bulletin. Now the problem was that the office that we recorded it in was sort of a thoroughfare between the CID office where the detectives worked and the crime prevention department. And so we'd get halfway through recording, and then the, the, the door would open, this this large oak, sort of very creaky door, and it would ruin the recording. So eventually we took to putting a sign outside which said, Recording in progress, do not enter. And on one occasion, uh, we made the recording, and nobody came into the room, but when we played it back to check that it had recorded okay, uh, we heard the door open, and we knew that no one had actually came in, and yet we could hear the door open on the tape. And then we heard what sounded like a child's footsteps running from uh, the other end of the the room towards where we were making the recording. And then the footsteps stopped, and then they seemed to run away again. It was really eerie. And that happened on two separate occasions.
1: Wow. So I guess, I mean, uh, you know, the normally stoic police officers that are probably working there, uh, that probably caught their attention.
0: Yeah, I mean, mean, some of them... um, you, you know, just laughed when we told them this story and they said we must have been mistaken and so on. As I said, by nature, they're skeptical. But I know that quite a few officers uh, had had UFO experiences, particularly. Um, and they, you know, they, they weren't laughed at, they weren't scorned. Um, the, 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 you know, people accepted that they had seen something that they couldn't understand. I mean, whether deep down people believed they actually seen some sort of extraterrestrial spacecraft and i don't know that you know but nobody seemed to doubt that they'd seen something extraordinary and they, they weren't sort of vilified or made fun of because of it
1: well and i think too uh, when uh, somebody in law enforcement has an experience and has some sort of sighting whether it be ghostly activity or a ufo you know, they're, 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 they live by their eyes. You know, they're, they're trained to be more observant than the average person is.
0: So, uh, Yeah, th- this is what annoys me about the skeptics, you know, when, when or some skeptics, not all skeptics, but, but the, the extreme skeptics, because they'll say, well, you know, police officers are no better witnesses than anyone else. And I've even heard some skeptics say that they're actually worse witnesses than anyone else. And I, I personally think this is nonsense, because police officers are trained... To be observant and to, to take note of detail. And I personally think that they do make better witnesses than the average person in the street. And that, that's no um, sort of, uh, I'm not decrying the average guy in the street. I'm just saying that police officers are trained sure. to be observant and I think they do make good witnesses. Especially on the stand, in court. I'm, I'm
1: wondering if it did. Are you able to hear Matt's mic?
0: I, I I heard, I heard somebody. Talk. I couldn't quite make out what they said. I said, especially on the stand in court, they make great witnesses. Yes, absolutely. Good enough to put somebody to death. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, uh, yeah. I was I was going to say, uh, you know, with, with here in the United States, you know, we have to deal with not only the skepticism of the you know the average skeptic but we also have the media scorn uh when mm-hmm. one of these stories breaks you always get that kind of tongue-in-cheek uh, approach to the story uh over there is the news media a little bit more uh, accepting of some of the cases that have made it to uh to the newspapers and to the airwaves
0: you know it's it strange the media has a, a love-hate relationship with the paranormal um it seems to be that some uh, TV programs, particularly those that we call satellite TV or what you may call cable TV, um, some channels actually broadcast paranormally related shows very, very heavily and there doesn't seem to be an issue with that but the the mainstream channels um, that used to be broadcast on what we call analogue and are now broadcast on digital, the, the five main channels, uh, don't Seem to touch the paranormal very much. Occasionally they will do. Um, but in the news, um, it, it, occasionally you may get an item on the news where some pilot's seen a UFO uh, and they may talk about it for a couple of minutes. But it, it's not really big up, as we say. Um, it, it tends to be very muted and very diluted. Um, I mean, I'll give you a classic example. We have a TV station uh, and that, it's that, broadcast over satellite uh, called Russia Today and uh, it's pretty it's an English uh, news program uh, but it's sort of based in Russia and there's one particular program where it discussed uh, just yesterday some scientist who said that within 20 years he believed that uh, full disclosure would be made and I thought wow I have to watch this program now I was actually going out with my wife so I videoed uh, I set to record the entire series of programs t- right th- on this channel till I got back home in- on the basis that I, w- I wouldn't miss it. Uh, I went right through them all and I couldn't find this program. So then I found it was being broadcast later, so I recorded it. And when I recorded the program and watched it, this item wasn't there. And I just found this, this quite strange. Um, now, maybe there was a, a rational explanation for this. I-, I-, I don't know. Maybe I just missed it. But I just couldn't seem to find this particular broadcast. And I had an experience some years ago where um, Linda Moulton Howe was discussing uh, animal mutilations on one particular Mm programme. And I thought, well, I must watch this. So uh, I settled down in front of the TV, sort of all excited, wanting to watch this programme. And then an announcement was made that um, the programme wasn't going to be aired and it was replaced by... a uh, sort of a biographical programme about James Belushi I think it was and so I rang the TV company up and I said "What? why didn't you broadcast this programme um, and I just got the run around, I couldn't get a straight answer and so I became a little bit suspicious, it just seemed very odd to me because this this is something pro, programmes being uh, b- sort of putting the, uh, the schedule for broadcast and then being pulled is not something that happens very much over here at all. Um, they did say that they were going to broadcast the programme later, um, and I believe that they did, but it was months later. But at the time, I just could not get a straight answer out of them as to why this programme wasn't broadcast. So I do, I do personally think there's a, a degree of media interference. Um, where it comes from, I don't really know. But I don't think we get the whole picture. When you get onto satellite or or, uh, cable TV, then it seems that the rules are much more relaxed. And uh, we we get a lot of good material. And I have to say, right, um, and um, this is probably me. Well, no, it's it's not me being nice because it's Independence Day. I'm saying this because it's the truth. Um, Most of the good stuff that we get does come from the States
1: all right well we have to take a break for the network news but we when when we come back in just a few minutes it'll be about a six minute break mike we'll get more in depth with some of our discussion about police and the paranormal as well as a whole host of other topics because we want to find out all about what goes on over there in the country that you know we took care of pretty handily a couple hundred years ago (laughs) all right we'll be right back with more here on spooky south coast and during the break spooky tv at spookysouthcoast.com you can hear and see what goes on in the studio
0: Spooky South Coast is back. Are you ready? I am ready. I am always ready. I have been ready. I am ready. I can smell your feelings. I'm
1: not afraid. You will.
0: I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to.
1: Come back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast here. Tim Weisberg, along with the Silent Assassin Matt Costa, the birthday boy, and <laughs> science advisor Matt Moniz. Did you not want us to broadcast that fact today, Matt? That's fine. Okay. Uh, well, wh- why don't we just put you on the spot here for a minute while we while we can? Uh, you want you want to share with everybody how old you are now? I am thirty years old. Dirty 30. thirty. Thirty. Do you feel older? Um. No i've been I, I felt 30 a long time ago so. <laughs> okay, well, now we can't trust you anymore, man, because you don't trust anybody over 30, man. All right, welcome back to the show where we talk about the paranormal. You can watch us on spooky TV at spookysouthcoast.com and of course listen and listen to us every Saturday night here on WBSm. Also, the podcasts are all up to date on iTunes and wherever you get the podcast from. <sighs> I know the birthday boy is working on the uh, updating the archives How, How's that coming, Matt? Uh, slow and steady take the week off at your <laughs> birthday <laughs> but uh, we will have everything up to date real soon all the video archives are up as well and don't forget tuesday nights at 9 p.m on spooky tv you can watch spirit connections with tiffany rice and we also have some other programming that may be coming as well uh, a good friend of ours uh, and a big fan of the show is working on developing a new show and that should be added to the spooky tv lineup soon and speaking of spooky south coast and all great contributions that we get from people. Mike Halliwell our guest and he's going to be putting some stuff up on SpookySouthCoast.com and joining us hopefully regularly on the show. And we're talking about the paranormal, uh, especially police work in the paranormal, which is uh, one of Mike's areas of research. And Mike, you were mentioning uh, to me over emails before the show, the the Essex case. And that's something that you wrote about in the uh, blog posting at SpookySouthCoast.com. And that just sounds like quite an amazing case.
0: Yeah, I mean, can I just check? Can you can you still hear me? Okay, absolutely. Yep, sounds great. Well, that, that's fine. Um, it's just that you were bringing up a little bit there. That's, that's fine. Yeah, the Essex case. Um, basically, uh, last August—that's August 2010—I August received an email, um, and the heading of it was just uh, "Please help." And I, I get a lot of emails like this from from people who believe that they have paranormal phenomena occurring in their home. And this email was five and a half thousand words long. And it was was from a police officer who who lives in Essex in the south of England. And in this email, she basically detailed a a huge list of extraordinary things that had occurred in her home uh, and, and had been occurring for a number of months. And by the time I got the end of the email, I thought, well, this woman is either clinically insane or she's... Really sitting at the hub of an extraordinary paranormal event, and uh, there was a telephone number attached to the email. Um, I rang the number, I spoke to her husband, and very quickly became convinced that they were telling the truth. Um, I'm, I went with a colleague of mine, John Triplo, who's a, a good paranormal investigator. We made several trips to uh, their home, we've got another one coming up in about two weeks' time. Um, on the first occasion, there was very little that happened. Uh, but on subsequent occasions, we witnessed some extraordinary phenomena, um, objects moving, um, b- bizarre things like, uh, uh, I mean, some of them are so bizarre that they're harder really to, to describe. I mean, on one occasion, uh, there was a number of police officers there, a number of paranormal investigators, some family members, and, um... At one particular point, there was a, a spontaneous fire broke out in the house, uh, which this this entity in the home had, had created on several occasions. And after the event was over, we managed to get the fire under control. Um, we all went out of the back garden, and uh, quite a few people were sort of, like, chilling out, trying to, just smoking cigarettes, and uh, trying to get their head around what they'd seen. And um, we found that every single person who was there who who was a cigarette smoker... Had had the cigarette lighter taken from the pocket, and replaced by someone else's, uh, and we counted about nine cigarette lighters that had been removed from people's pockets, and surreptitiously put in other people's pockets, whom themselves had, had their own lighters removed and then put in someone else's. I mean, wow. there was these bizarre sort of things were occurring. Uh, disembodied voices. Um, I received a, a phone, a, a voicemail on my phone after I'd been speaking at a conference. And I came home, and there was this bizarre voice on the other end of the phone, which was identical to uh, to voices that had been recorded by the family in the home, very threatening, very intimidating messages. Um, but on a number of... Uh, I, I actually, things were so extraordinary, I took to recording every conversation that I had. Whenever I, I rang the, the family, I automatically recorded the conversation. And on a number of occasions... Uh, we managed to record the most extraordinary things that were, were happening. And on one occasion, uh, I was speaking to the guy in the house, and he told me that he could smell burning. And he went into the, uh, the kitchen, and he had a, a toaster, a toasting machine on the bench. And this thing had been switched on, and uh, a tea towel had been, a uh, drying cloth had been put inside the toaster, and it was a light. And so he managed to get them under control, and all the time he's talking to me on the phone, and then you could smell burning again. And when he went out, and um, uh, a, a lavatory roll, a toilet roll of paper had been placed on top of the toaster. Again, it had been plugged in uh, and it was alight. And then, as he got that under control, um, there was a th- third fire in the house, and uh, uh, some items of clothing had been placed at the bottom of a flight of stairs and they were alight. And when he tried to remove the clothing, to, to take it outside, uh, all the keys in, his, in every door and window in his home had been removed, and all the doors and windows had been locked. And so he was effectively a prisoner in his own home. And we recorded some extraordinary events like that, and, and perhaps the, the most bizarre of all uh, was on a, a day when there'd been a number of fires in the house, and uh, this guy rang me up, and he was really upset. And... Um, He told me about these fires, and I said, Look, you really need to to ring the police or the fire service. And now his his wife is a serving police officer, and so he decided to ring her. And uh, she came home with some colleagues. And uh, I actually have a, a statement right now, bear in mind that I actually recorded this event. Uh, on audio tape. So I have I have a recording of what, what I'm about to read out to you. But what I'm about to read out is actually a statement that was made by an officer who attended the house at the scene. Um, and I'll read this statement out. You know, this statement, I've, I've read it out at a couple of conferences, but it's never been broadcast publicly before. Right. Ah. And I want to read this statement out here, and it is absolutely extraordinary. Now, bear in mind, this statement was made by an officer who attended the scene. Okay, so I'm going to read this to you now. Um, This officer, he said, uh, it was the afternoon of Saturday the 25th of September 2010, just after 1600 hours, and I had just finished work for the day. I received a call from Caroline, okay, that's the, the police officer, on my mobile phone, asking me if I could proceed to her home address as soon as possible, as her partner Niall Coughlin was having real problems. The ghost, or entity, was lighting fires by putting tea towels on top of the toaster and then turning it on. Caroline was extremely frightened and concerned for Niall's welfare. I immediately proceeded to the Cockland home. Caroline and another police officer arrived just as I got there. We entered the premises at the same time. On walking through the front door, I observed two individuals, Niall Coughlin and Lee Lufatkins, standing in the hallway. I have to say that Lee Lufatkins is actually uh, a good friend of Niall Coughlin. They were standing in a large pool of water, and it had a strong odor of urine. We could see water falling from the direction of the ceiling, but I could see no explanation for this, as there was no water on the ceiling itself, which was completely dry. The water juice was just appearing in the air below the ceiling and falling to the ground. The fall of water moved along the hallway in the direction of the ground floor toilet, and as it did so, the water continued to rain down upon the floor. I then observed a series of footprints appearing on the stairs at the bottom of the stairwell and proceeding upwards. They were clearly going up the stairs, but they did not have the appearance of normal human footprints. Some of them seemed to be hoof-shaped. As we were observing the footprints... Caroline and Niall Cotland were attempting to mop up the large pools of urine present on the floor of the hallway. At this point, a series of loud bangs came from upstairs. It sounded as if someone was walking heavily across the floor. We proceeded upstairs to investigate, but as we reached the landing on the first floor, and that's in in what in the US you call the, the, we would call the ground floor, you would call the first floor, the banging stopped. We searched the rooms to discover where the noises were coming from but could find nothing. The rooms were empty. We then proceeded down the stairs to the hallway, but as soon as we reached the ground floor, the banging noises started again. We investigated upstairs again but could find nothing out of place. This was repeated several times over the course of several minutes. Caroline and her partner Niall Cockland decided that they should leave the premises due to the things that had occurred and started to gather together their belongings. At this point I left and proceeded to my home. In the past I have been very sceptical about the supernatural, etc., only partly believing. But after the day in question I now fully believe, as I saw things that I simply cannot explain. I really don't know how the family copes with what has gone on in their home. Wow. Um, that, that, those officers arrived at the house, and the, the householder and his friend were in the home, and from their perspective what they saw, was they were in the kitchen, And they happened to glance out in the hallway and they saw a cloud um, uh, hanging in the hallway about 15 inches below the ceiling. And this this water cascading from this cloud upon the floor. And bear in mind, I actually recorded this conversation. And um, then they noticed that that it wasn't water, it was actually urine. And uh, I could actually hear the sound of this this water, this this liquid hitting the uh, the tiles on the floor in the hallway, it was absolutely extraordinary. And when the the police officer Caroline, when she entered her home with her two colleagues, um, she became absolutely hysterical. I mean, she just couldn't believe what she was seeing with her own eyes, and she just kept repeating over and over again, "This is my home. What's happening to my home? Why why is this happening to me?" You know, she just was uh, incredibly upset. And so I spoke to an officer who was there at the scene, and I said, tell me, what can you see? And he said, if I told you what I could see, I don't think you'd believe me. And I said, I think it would, uh, because we'd seen more than enough during our previous visits to convince us that we're telling the truth. And we have several statements from police officers. We have over 30 witnesses um, who have seen things like what I've just read out to you there, and also things that were even more extraordinary. I mean, my wife and I and two colleagues, John and uh, Trip and his his partner, Kelly, uh, were at our home, and this entity had actually spoken the day before to several of the witnesses and intimated to them that the following evening it was going to do something quite extraordinary. So we recorded the conversation, and um, they were in a public house, a bar, and uh, this thing started to move tables around. It started to spill drinks. It started to levitate tables. And uh, this was attracting quite some attention. So they decided to leave and, and travel to another bar. Um, so they got in the car, and we recorded the conversation. And as the car was traveling from one public house to another, um, the, uh, the Niall was sitting in the front of the car. His brother was driving, and he said to me, this thing, he said, it's pulling at my clothing now, it's pulling at the arms of my clothing, it's pulling at the colour of my jacket. And he, he was getting quite upset. Uh, his, his friend Lee was in the back of the car and he had a what we call a hoodie on, it was just a jacket with a hood and all of a sudden this thing grabbed the hood um, of his jacket and wrapped it around his neck and started to pull it. Aww. And I then started to try and I I, I was desperate to do something to help but we were at the other end of the country and I said, look, why don't you leave these people alone and and, and, and come up here and do something to me now, or worse to that effect Um, it didn't, it then turned its attention back to Nile and this is where things got incredibly grim because it actually started to beat them ferociously uh, in the car and on the tape you can actually hear this guy who works in the security industry and he's no shrinking Violet And you can actually hear this guy pleading pitifully for this thing to stop beating him. Um, It's one of the most chilling things I've ever recorded, and it's one of the most chilling things I've ever heard. And those are just a, a small number of the incidents that have happened in this particular house.
1: Well, when you started describing some of the activity that happened there, you know, you mentioned the spontaneous fires, the banging sounds, the different noises. You know, it sounds like classic poltergeist activity, but now with it traveling outside of the home and following them and attacking them in different locations and and this severity of attack, it sounds like it's something uh, a lot more malevolent than that.
0: You, you, you're exactly right. Uh, that's very, very perceptive, because when we first attended the house, we were under the impression that this was a poltergeist, a very ferocious poltergeist, but nevertheless um, a poltergeist. However, when we were down there, there was a number of things happened that didn't quite fit in with the, the normal uh, with the normal parameters of poltergeist activity. Um, it, we found, for instance, on a number of occasions that this thing had an extraordinary ability to imitate human beings. Um, I'll give you one example. Um, Caroline, the police officer, when we were there doing one investigation, she took the children in the home to her partner's parents who lived about 20 miles away. And uh, she was taking them out of the house for the night because she didn't want them there in case anything happened during our investigation. And she didn't want them to become frightened. And so... Um, Not long after she left the house, as she left, she said, "Okay, I'll I'll see you guys tomorrow morning. Uh, I'll come back tomorrow. And so we said, "Okay." And then not long after she'd left, the door opened, and I was standing with, a, I think, a police officer and a householder. And the door opened, and then she came, and she just said, Hi, it's me, I'm back. And she walked into the lounge. And we looked at each other, and a partner said, What's she doing home? She's supposed to be staying at my parents. And I said, I don't know and so we followed him into the lounge and in the lounge was his brother and um, another paranormal researcher who, who travelled down with us and we said where's, where's Caroline and he looked at us and said well what do you mean she's, she's staying at, uh, over at Clacton you know um, mm-hmm. we said no she's, she's back she just came in this room and I said no she hasn't um, and there was other occasions where this thing actually imitated people I had a conversation for 45 minutes with uh, N- Niall's brother Mark, and uh, this is what happened. I-, I got this phone call, and Mark said to me, I look, you know, I've been talking with my brother, and he-, he doesn't want you to go back there and do any more investigations or anything." And I said, "Why?" I said, "I only spoke to him two days ago." I said he told me he was really looking for what was going down, and he said, "Yeah, but." He said, the thing is, look, he just wants to draw a line in the sand and move on. And, you know, he just wants to put this all behind him. So he appreciates the help you've given him, but he just doesn't want you to go back. And I said, well, I'm really disappointed in your brother. I thought better of him than that. Um, I said, I'm going to give him a ring tomorrow. And I said, and find out why he's taking this attitude. And he said, look, please don't. He's, he's got enough stress on his plate at the moment. Enough things going on in his life. Don't, don't ring him. Please, just, just leave him alone. Just walk away. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. It's not my nature. Sorry, but no, I'm going to to telephone. So the next day I rang his brother and his brother said, uh, he said, what? He said, I never said any such thing. He said, I told you, I'm looking forward to you coming back down. He said, I never told my brother that I didn't want you to come back. He said, I'm going to give him a ring and find out what he's playing at. He rang his brother and his brother said, I've never spoken to Mike. I never made any such call. Um, and he could prove he actually was able to prove that he was working at that time with some colleagues and he had not made that call and numerous people connected with this case have received phone calls from other people that connected with the case and it later transpired that the call had not been made and the person they were speaking to was not the person who they they said they were so we then started thinking this is not an ordinary poltergeist this is something completely different And we came to the conclusion that uh, it was something that in English folklore is known as a brag, sometimes called a bogeyman. Um, It's by tradition in English folklore the most ferocious and the most to be feared uh, elemental entity of any kind and um, we realized that this was what we were actually dealing with and it wasn't a pleasant thought because this thing just seemed to be able to toy with our heads in, in with, with consummate ease actually um, and we realized that we were really up against something that was incredibly cunning, incredibly powerful uh, and very very ferocious and had a, a horrible propensity for physical violence when it was upset and we realized then that this was an ordinary polygeist
1: Well, here in the U.S., you know, we don't have a lot of experience, at least the, the paranormal community doesn't seem to have a lot of experience with elementals here, and when something like this goes down, they attach more of a religious connotation to it, and they refer to it as a demonic. Is there yes. is there a big difference uh, between something that's a, a quote-unquote demonic entity and something that's an elemental?
0: Um, it, it's, it's difficult to say. I, I couldn't really give you a... Um A definitive answer on that, right? My my opinion, and that's all it is, is that there is a difference uh, between classic demonic entities um, uh, of of the, uh, let's say, the Judeo-Christian type, and these these entities that are commonly called elementals. Um, I do think there is a difference, and this is one of the concerns that I have, that a lot of people who are faced with this problem, uh, quite naturally take refuge in their their religious beliefs and so some of them will go down the road of uh, perhaps contacting a local priest or um, a a clergyman uh, with the idea of having an exorcism done now my my real worry about this is that um, exorcisms are designed to remove uh, or to expel demons in the classic sense. The problem is if you're not dealing with a demon, if what you're dealing with is something different, then an exorcism is really the wrong tool for the job. And if it doesn't work, then the only thing that you may achieve is to make this thing uh, far more angry than it, than it is. Um, I mean, we've seen what this thing can do when it gets angry. And so this is a concern of mine actually that before an exorcism is carried out or any sort of religious ritual, you really have to be absolutely certain that you, you're using the right tool for the job because at the end of the day, you don't want to end up trying to be, um, trying to shoot something which metaphorically is the size of an elephant whilst using something like a pea shooter, um, because it just ain't going to do the job. And that's my worry with these things, actually. I think there's not enough focus put on on trying to establish exactly what is being dealt with. Well, yes, you're quite correct. Um, I think, you know, in, in the States, I think there is a, uh, a greater propensity to lean towards sort of a religious interpretation of these things. I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong. Um, but I think whichever side of the Atlantic we live on, we need to be doubly sure what we're dealing with before we try to tackle it. Because if, if we end up, you know, t- doing it the wrong way uh, or we don't understand the nature of the beast, so to speak, then I think we can end up with real problems.
1: Well, I think that's uh, similar. I don't know how familiar you are with the the Lizzie Borden case, uh, but that's actually a stone's throw from where we broadcast from, and we've had the opportunity to investigate that house on numerous occasions. Yes. And it's made me rethink the idea of the demonic versus an elemental because... Whatever is there is definitely evil by nature. I think it's something far more powerful than just the spirits of uh, the murdered Andrew and Abby Borden. Uh, And whatever it is, it it just wants to create havoc and create chaos, whereas a demonic might want to achieve the idea of possession and hopefully perfect possession. It sounds to me like the elemental just wants to to cause problems.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I I couldn't agree with you more. These things... um I mean, I, I see no evidence that anyone in that household is possessed. Um, in, I mean, only in the in the loosest sense. Um, and by that I mean that, um, in a way, it's possessed all of us in as much as that it seems to be able to manipulate us and to manoeuvre us mm-hmm.
1: into position,
0: almost like moving pieces of chess on a chessboard. Uh, and it gets us into a position where it's comfortable with, and then it does something quite spectacular. So... If, if you want to talk about possession, that, that, in that very vague sense, that's about as much as you could say that we're possessed or anyone's possessed. But in the normal sense of the word possession, I don't think anyone in that, that household is possessed. Um, I think you're quite right. This thing is there. it, 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 it seems to take fantastic delight in causing chaos and confusion. It seems to live for doing that sort of thing. Um, and unfortunately it does it in a way where, whereas in poltergeist cases, um, physical assaults and, and, uh, danger to the householders are relatively rare. And with this sort of entity, um, it really doesn't give, give a hoot to be quite frank with you, um, who's hurt or who isn't. And I would go as far as to say that my... My perception is that it really doesn't care who lives or who dies. That might say no, it sound overly dramatic to some people, but that's the way the impression that we get when we're dealing with it. It really has very little regard for human safety or human life. Well, that also leads to
1: the point that it being more of an elemental, whereas an elemental will attack everybody, where in transverse a demonic entity usually singles out a particular person to attach to and try to break down.
0: Yeah, in, in this case, um, it, it just hasn't done that. I mean, it, it affects everyone who goes down there. I mean, we, we go down and we've seen it do the most extraordinary things in the house. We've seen it do things outside of the house. I mean, lithobolia or stone throwing is um, something that poltergeists do. But it's also something that this thing does. Um, I mean, on the very first day when this, this whole affair started... Niall and his friend Lee were in the house and um, the knives were thrown at them um, and crockery and glasses were thrown off shelves, what seemed to be sort of typical poltergeist stuff, um, they they grabbed the, the son and they ran out of the house and as they left the house they were just showered with stones. And the, the intriguing thing about the, uh, the stone thrown was that whereas poltergeists normally tend to throw relatively small stones like pebbles, uh, this thing was thrown a mixture of large and small stones, and some of them were quite large. And one of them um, actually hit the, uh, the, the, the bodywork of Niall's car. And both he and Lee described what happened, they said it was, it was quite bizarre because when this thing hit the bodywork of the car, it seemed to suffer from a, what, what some scientists have called arrested inertia. If you throw a large stone at a motor vehicle, it will hit the bodywork and it will, it will ricochet, it will bounce. But this thing didn't. It collided with the bodywork and it went, at the point of impact, straight it just down, stopped and it, it clung to the bodywork like a magnet. Um, and they lifted it off, and of course, there was quite a large dint in the bodywork of the of the vehicle. Uh, it was quite badly damaged. Um, on another occasion, there was um, some reporters from a national newspaper arrived at the house, and one of them parked a the car in in the drive and This police officer said, "Look you know I, personally i wouldn 't park your car there because this thing in the house doesn 't like strangers parking the car in the drive." And uh, this cameraman said, oh, he said, I'm pretty sure I'll be okay, don't worry. Uh, at which point, something just hurtled out of the atmosphere uh, and took a, a huge chunk out of his windscreen, um, at which point he then decided maybe he should move his motor car after all. Um, better late than never, I suppose. But uh, this is the sort of thing that it would it would do. I mean, there were occasions when we, we went upstairs in the house and we we were together and we would we would actually go and. It would, see that each of the five rooms in the the house and there was a very small landing right incredibly small landing um so you, there's no way that anyone could sneak into a room without being seen and we would systematically go into every room we would check that all the windows were shut the lights were out and we would shut the door and after we would we'd finished the checking the five rooms we could then open the door of the first room and the window will be open and the light would be on. The second room you would open, the window will be open and the light will be on. And nobody ever heard a thing, you know. Um, but there, there were occasions, you know, when, just going back to the point you made about possession. Um, there was one occasion that I do recall, which was quite terrifying actually, where something happened that may have been some sort of possession. It didn't last very long, but it was quite frightening. Uh, we were in one of the bedrooms and uh, one of the witnesses was sitting on a a small divan bed that was used by one of the children, and uh, the householder and his friend were sitting on this other bed, and I was standing in the middle of the floor, and um, one of the the witnesses, I think it was the householder, pointed to his friend on the other bed, he said, there's something wrong with his face, it's it's changing. And I looked at this guy, and his face seemed to have uh, gone thinner, and his cheeks seemed to have become rather sunk. And it, it was apparent to me that his face had actually changed. So I decided to take some photographs. And I think I took about a dozen pictures. And at one point, he actually turned and he, he looked across the room at his, his two friends. And his face had completely changed. Um, his eyes seemed to have this almost an earthy sort of glow them. It was quite bizarre. Um, and he seemed to have aged incredibly and at that point, the, the two of them just leapt off the bed and raced out of the room, uh, absolutely terrified. And I said to this guy, are you okay? Can you, and he seemed to be almost in a trance, and then all of a sudden he snapped out of it, and he said, uh, uh, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm okay. And he went back to normal. Now, when we looked at the photographs later, we went through them, and there was one picture that I'd taken just before I'd photographed this guy, and it was of uh, the householder on this this other bed on the other side of the room. And when I looked at the photograph, there was something very strange about it because his, his, his legs seemed to be covered with what looked like a large blanket or skin of some kind. And I showed this to the, the other householders and, I, the, and the people there, these police officers and colleagues, and I said, well, what is that thing across his legs? And they all going, I don't know, I, I, I can't understand it. And Niall looked at it, and he says, well, there was nothing across my legs when I was lying on the bed. I was just lying on top of, the, of the, uh, the blankets. And then all of a sudden, as we were looking at the photograph, this black sort of blanket or, or, or skin or whatever it was that seemed to be covering his legs slowly started to shrink and disappear. The photograph was actually, as we were looking at it on the screen with the digital camera, uh, actually changed before our eyes, you know. And this was the sort of bizarre stuff... That would happen. That just didn't fit the, the classic poltergeist. More, it was sort of like poltergeist plus. It was, it was poltergeist with extra added weirdness. Do you know, it was just so strange. And we all, uh, the 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 way that it affected the family initially, obviously they were terrified. But there were times. There was once we went to a public house, and this thing started to to really act up in this public house. And we made sure that everyone was sitting away from the table. Their arms were folded, the legs were tucked under the seats, so there was absolutely no way anybody could be engaged in any trickery. My colleague got down on the floor, he was looking at the underneath of the table, I was observing closely the top of this table in this public house, and you could hear this bizarre noise and it got louder and louder and louder. And the only way I can describe it, you know when you have you ever watched these old sort of pirate movies where you hear the, the ship's timber sort of creaking? Mm-hmm. It sounded like that. Right, like the creaking of ships timbers and it got louder and louder. It got to the point where the barman was actually looking across and you could see he was like wondering what was going on here. Um, and we, uh, it got louder, we recorded this and um, then it, 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 it started making these tapping noises and it would, uh, it could tap the number of fingers that you had held up behind your back. Um, then we recorded voices that we didn't hear at the time, but when we played the tapes back, we could hear these women's voices and there was no one present. Um, it just started to do all this weird stuff. And we, we knew then that this, this wasn't a polygate. This was something completely different. It was something we'd never encountered before.
1: Well, this is definitely one of the most fascinating cases uh, that I've ever heard of. And if you would like to call in with any questions for our guest Mike Hallowell, you can do so by giving us a call, 508-996-0500, one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty you can also jump in the chat room at spooky TV at spooky dot com and Mike one of the questions that came up in the chat room is uh, somebody wanted to know if the people who are experiencing this this elemental this this spirit this entity, uh, if they notice any other changes when it 's present, any kind of changes in the environment, any particular personal feelings
0: yes um, that 's a good question the, the, on the first visit that we made. Um we, we got down there, and the, the, this family were very, very, ah, uh, oh, very, very hospitable, right? And they, they'd done a good job. When we got there, they'd basically gathered together uh, quite a few of the witnesses uh, who were there on our arrival. So we decided before we, we carried out any formal investigation set of, of our equipment that we would interview them all. And uh, I was sitting in the lounge, and all of a sudden I was aware of a temperature drop in the room. And I can I think that was the very very first uh, experience that I had, and now, okay, skeptics will say, well, yeah, temperature drop. There's so many things can cause that. Well, it's true, but then there was this breeze seemed to come out of nowhere, and it it sort of rustled the papers on my clipboard, um, uh, the interview sheets, and in and there was you know we checked there was just no way in the room that they said could come from. I mean, it was it was not a really strong breeze, but it just, it was stronger than any breeze you'd feel in the, a normal lounge of a family home. It just, you know, um, so you, you would get temperature drops. Um, there was also, you would sometimes get this sense of presence. Uh, with me, it's sort of like my solar plexus, the muscles at the top of my stomach were very tight, um, just this feeling that something's around. And Niall, particularly, the guy in the house, he, he seems to be the one who has the greatest sensitivity to this. He can just sense when this thing is around. And he will often say, I can feel it, it's here. Uh, and we may pick up nothing, but within a minute or two, the activity will start, and he's, he's pretty much bang on the nail. You know, he gets it right almost every time. He knows when this thing is present. Um... So it's that sense of presence and uh, fluctuations in the, the temperature. The other thing is that um, at the time they had two dogs in the house. And um, these dogs would react uh, very, very ferociously to the presence of this thing. And they did something very interesting. The two dogs took to pretty much spending all of the time halfway up the stairwell in the, in, in the hall. And Niall said to me, why why are they doing this? Why are the dogs doing that? And the dogs looked very, very frightened, very apprehensive. And my explanation was that the the stairwell was almost like an escape route. So that if this thing was upstairs, they could run downstairs. And if it was downstairs, then they could run up. Um, And that the dogs had figured out that that by staying in the middle of the stairs, it was an escape route they could use wherever this thing may happen to be. They could run away from it. Um, so, yeah, the animals in the house, uh, there was a parrot that would react sometimes to, uh, you know, the, the presence of this thing. Um, so, yeah, the, there wasn't any marked changes, but it was the, the, the normal sort of stuff that you get in most haunted locations. Temperature drops, sense of presence, uh, occasionally a bit of the Oz factor, as they call it, and uh, things like that.
1: Well, there's a couple other questions from the chat room, uh, but let me throw out the phone number again real quick, one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. 996 1420 508-996-0500, if you have a question for our guest, Mike Hallowell. But uh, in the chat room, there were two questions that I wanted to pose to you. One was if there had been any uh, history of anybody messing around with any kind of Ouija board or any, any kind of occult activity in the home, either the current owners or before. And uh, the other question is if it only seems to center around when there's a certain person present.
0: You know, uh, this is what I love when I do shows like this, right? And when you get intelligent questions asked, right? They, they, I, I, I sort of love answering these sort of questions because the the perceptive. The first question, um, th- we did some research in a local library and we found out that there had been a house that stood on the site of their home. Now, bear in mind that this family were the first residents of this house. It's relatively new. It's only a few years old. Um, so there'd been no previous residents lived in the house. However, there had been, uh, a cottage had stood on the site of this house in which a guy had, uh, apparently committed suicide. And one of the, the rumours was that he committed suicide because his house was haunted. And we also discovered that there was a, an unsubstantiated rumour that the, that the cottage next to his had been haunted as well. But the interesting thing was that, um, Although the people on the site come and go, and the houses come and go, the phenomena stays, And that was one of the things that led us to think it wasn't a poltergeist, because poltergeists are people-centred, people, you know, attached to persons. Um, and this thing didn't seem to be attached to a particular person, it seemed to be attached to the place. Um, the, the second question... Um, Refresh me. What was the second question?
1: If, if the second question was if it had centered around anybody, uh, as as when, much from what, yeah, when somebody was, the was there,
0: yes, um, we, we noticed there was a very marked um, sort of repetition. nail and his friend Lee. Um, whenever Lee wasn't present at the home, there would be phenomena occurring. Um, it never actually stopped. But whenever Lee, his friend, came, it would re- it would increase markedly. And then when he left, it would decrease. Um, and we noticed that particularly. And, of course, sceptics would say, yeah, well, maybe this guy was doing stuff then, when he came to the house. Um, we considered that seriously and effectively ruled it out. We knew that that wasn't happening. Because uh, even when he wasn't in the house... There was extraordinary things happening when he wasn't even in the vicinity. But um, when he was present, it seemed to be not so much the presence of one person. It seemed to be that the householder and his friend seemed to act as a catalyst. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, when they were both together, it seemed to make this thing worse.
1: Well, it... To step away uh, from this particular case for a minute and just speak generally, uh, of course, one of the other things that you research very heavily is UFO activity. Have you seen a correlation in your research between UFO appearances, if there's a a rash of UFO sightings, and increased ghostly activity?
0: Yes. Uh, In fact, I'm giving a a lecture at uh, a convention which has been organized by UFO Merix magazine in October um, in... uh, on that very subject, actually. That's the, uh, my specific topic, the, the correlation between UFO activity and other sorts of uh, paranormal phenomena. And I'll give you one example. Um, not far from where I live, um, a lady contacted me some years ago via one of my newspaper columns, and she said that um, she caught something quite extraordinary on camera. So I went and had a look, and basically she'd she'd picked up her two kids from school, she got back home the kids were playing uh, with some game system in the lounge on the TV and she went into the kitchen to make something to eat she looked out the kitchen window and beyond the back garden was a field and she saw several objects in the sky which she described as um, sort of disc shaped and um, sure enough when I looked at the footage you could see them, Um, they were in the distance but they looked like hottie pucks and it seemed to be that they had a, a dark centre sandwiched between two lighter layers. And there were several of these things in the sky. And you can actually hear this woman, she was quite taken aback, and as she was videoing these things with her camcorder, she said, ''Wow, look at this. Can you see this? This is amazing. What are those things?'' You know, she's talking to herself. Now, when I, I, I interviewed her um, extensively about this, and I said, ''Was there any, anything happening around that time in your home?'' it was uh, unusual or odd and she said yeah there was Um, a few days before this had happened and it had no sort of um, uh, paranormal phenomena in the home before but a few days before this happened um, a husband had uh, went to light the fire and a metal grate in the fire a very heavy metal grate had just suddenly shot out of the fireplace onto the hearth Um, and then electrical equipment in the house was spontaneously turning itself on and off, Uh, there was a, one of the the children had a a small plastic bicycle, a small thing which you could could just ride around the house on, Um, and it it had some electrical components, you could press buttons and it would make noises and things, and uh, it would just spontaneously switch itself on. Um, there was quite a, um, some very weird things happened in the, the few days preceding this UFO sighting, and in the in the day after it. Um, and I've noticed this before that when you speak to experience who've seen UFOs, quite often they will say that in the days preceding the um, the, the, the sighting and one or two days afterwards. They experienced other phenomena, which in isolation you could maybe put down or haunting or poltergeist activity. So the question is, why is there this correlation between the UFO phenomenon, which you would think superficially seems to be completely separate from these other things, so what what is the connection and why is it there? You know, it's, it's a very intriguing question.
1: And I've heard other correlations between, you know, like Bigfoot sightings and UFOs, uh, and even Bigfoot ghosts, you know, it, it seems like all these different phenomena seem to to cross one another. It's almost like once that window is open, once that veil is pulled back a little bit, kind of anything can bleed through.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've thought about this long and hard, you know. And, uh, I have a theory, and, and that's all it is. I can't say that it's it, it's true. I can't verify it. It's just it's 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 a theory which to me seems to make sense of everything. Um, I have a, a suspicion, right, that that. UFOs um, may... I do believe that some of them are, are purely extraterrestrial and actually come from other parts of, of the universe. Um, but I, I have a feeling that a lot of them might be more interdimensional. Um, they're coming from somewhere which is not so much a different place, but a different dimension, um, perhaps in the same space-time coordinates as our own. And I, I, I've sometimes wondered whether that, um, this other dimension is so radically bizarre and, and different to our own but in its in its own world and to the inhabitants of that dimension it all makes sense and hangs together as well as our own world does so all these weird things like UFOs and Bigfoot and all the rest of it uh, sort of cryptozoological quasi-form animals and things maybe they all come from one particular place and together they, they form like a homogenous um, ecosystem that, that works but it is just so radically different from our own and maybe every now and then one of those windows or portals that you speak of opens up and some of it that dimension spills through into our own and we get little glimpses of it you know Bigfoot you know I mean we know that there are so many occasions where um, people see them and they, they describe these things disappearing in a flash of light I mean I live in a, a small residential area, it's the smallest borough in the United Kingdom, right, it it only measures a few square miles and yet in my borough there are actually six um, very bizarre cryptozoological creatures akin to Bigfoot that have been seen on numerous occasions and yet it's just absolutely impossible from a rational point of view because there's no way these things could hide and no way they could live we don't have big woods, we don't have forests where I live it's, it's predominantly an urban area with very small little pockets of greenery, um, and yet these things are seen. So it seems to be that they can just come and go. Um, and that, this is why I suspect there's some interdimensional um, sort of aspect here that that, that comes into play, that, uh, that maybe connects it with the UFO phenomenon, maybe the whole thing. It's just, it, it, they're all part, aspects of a different dimension that as i say in itself hangs together very well and if we could actually go into that dimension and see it we could see how we, all these bits fit together uh, almost like an ecosystem that works but then it spills through into our own and, and it's so radically different our own world that we can't make sense of it
1: well, it's been a fascinating night, Mike. We're actually almost uh, almost to the end of it here. And I feel like there's so many more directions that we could go w- with discussing this. But uh, one thing that I will wrap up this discussion by asking you is, do you, do you feel that uh, for the general common person, for the average uh, observer of the, all things paranormal, that we, we talked about the police that will share their experiences with you and want to hear about your experiences, do you feel that they, along with people like clergy, uh, along with people like scientists, such as my co-host here, Matt Moniz, as they come out and they talk more freely about the paranormal, do you think that can kind of open up the dialogue more?
0: Yes, and I think that it's a self-perpetuating process that the more um, people in professional positions that are prepared to speak out, um, then the more other people will feel comfortable about speaking out and uh, police officers now are pretty much okay with uh, speaking about the UFO phenomenon, I mean there's a, a serving detective uh, called Gary Heseltine in the UK who um, I, I've spoken to whom I know and he runs a, 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 a website called Proofos. It's, it's a UFO reporting database for serving police officers who can report UFO signs on this database um, and they do and he's dealt with, I think, was it something like 800 cases or something like that, he was telling me in the space of a few years. So, yeah, and uh, people in, in professional positions are now seem to be more open about talking about this type of thing. And that's a process I would like to see continue. The sceptics don't like it, or the extreme sceptics don't like it. Um, I get brutally attacked by them on, on many, many occasions. Uh, simply because I I, I speak out and I encourage people to do the same. And they don't like it because I think they want to live in a safe little world where they can just, you know, live in la-la land and pretend none of this stuff happens. Well, it does, you know, and I'm glad to see police officers and others are now openly speaking about their experiences.
1: All right. Well, hopefully, yeah, they'll keep sharing, and of course, they can always share with us at Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. dot com, and of course, SpookySouthCoast.com dot com is where you'll be able to find more of Mike's writing in the future. But for now, feel free to go to his website, MikeHalliwell dot com, and he's got all kinds of uh, interesting information up there. Some great pictures of people he spent time with in, in the paranormal. But my, my email
0: address is all, also there, contact details. If anyone wants to write to me or contact me, they should feel free. You know, we'll answer them. Ah,
1: oh, that's great. So and hopefully, uh, Mike, we can bring you back on real soon and you can become a regular contributor to the show. We loved having you on and, th- and thanks for staying up late and you didn't fall asleep so the provigil or whatever you're taking must be working.
0: No, because my adrenaline's pumping around my system now because the the, the questions I've asked have been so so good and uh, I like answering questions and they're intelligent. It's been a real pleasure being on the show and I would be delighted to come back on any time.
1: Thank you. We say we have, we have the best audience in the paranormal field. They, they ask the right yeah, I'm questions. I'm sure you and, do. All right, so uh, we will be in touch with you. Uh, For now, though, uh, don't sulk too much on Independence Day.
0: No, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) All
1: right. Thanks. Have a good night. That is Mike Hallowell. Again, his email, uh, I'm sorry, his website is, uh, MikeHallowell.com. And that is where you can go to find out more about him and find out, you know, if you're, if you're traveling and, and you're going to be heading over to the UK, definitely check out one of his many lectures. He's got all the information up there, his calendar up there, and some of his numerous other appearances on some shows, uh, over across the pond. So check him out. It's always interesting to get a take of this stuff from another country, from another society, from another cultural point of view. And, I don't know about you, but I I feel like, uh, first of all, from hearing about that Essex case, that sounds like one of the strangest things that I've ever heard of. But, uh, you know, we get some new questions to walk away from uh, after hearing what Mike had to say. I've dealt with a couple of other elementals, uh, elemental cases, and it's interesting to see that the similarities are the same there as they are here. But then again, this is old news to people that's been following this stuff, so. So then, there you go. So if we uh, if we have any more good elemental cases that come up over here in the U.S., we'll be sure to pass them on to Mike. Maybe we can get him to come over here and investigate some of them. All right. Well, that about does it for tonight's show. We have to uh, get out of here and go to Matt Costa's surprise birthday party over at the Seven <laughs> Eleven. <laughs> if you want to go there, uh, we'll be having uh, burritos and maybe uh, some sausage. Yeah. What are those things? What are the <laughs> what are those things that they have over there? The the taquitos. taquitos. Yeah, We're going to go, go, matter. go, go taquitos. All right. So we'll be back next week. We want everybody to have a happy and safe 4th of July holiday uh, and have a happy and safe week. We'll join you back here next Saturday night after the Red Sox again to talk about all things paranormal. com is the website and you can go there all week long. Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Check out Spirit Connections with Tiffany Rice on Spooky TV and uh, we'll be back Saturday night. 10 p.m. or whenever the socks decide to let us go on. So until then, from Matt Moniz, from Matt Costa, I'm Tim Weisberg, and we want you all to stay spooktacular.